Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for July 7th, 2021. I can't believe the year is half over. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Uh, and uh, it's a really good, really good week for comics. Um, tons of great independent books, uh, just like every week. We covered all the Marvel stuff yesterday. So if you're curious about that, be prepared that there are spoilers. Unlike this new comic book day episode where we go spoiler free, the Marvel or, or the DC spotlight rather has uh, all spoilers. Rocky from Comic Boom, uh, the Comic Boom YouTube channel and myself, we go deep into the plot points and stories and motivations and all that kind of stuff. So that's over there on uh, YouTube at the Comic Boom channel or you can check it out on our podcast any podcast platform but just be aware that there are spoilers um and as i say that that we're half through the year i realized that this year i told myself after we did the comic source awards i told myself okay next year i'm going to start writing down my nominees like throughout the year so i don't have to go back through everything at the end of the year and i keep telling myself i'm going to do it now the year's half over and i still haven't done it uh yeah i need to get on that so Anyway, we should get started uh, with some of the books that are coming out today. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with Amazing Spider-Man number 70. We do know that Nick Spencer is leaving the Spider-Man title. We do know that there are a team of writers taking it over. And that's probably because we also know that Amazing Spider-Man is going to go to three times a month. And I got to say, I'm not a fan. Uh, I don't even like when books come out twice a month. So it's three times a month. It just feels like... A, it feels excessive to me and you can't keep a, you know, a consistent art team on the book. Cause there's no way there's no artist alive who can do three books a month. So it's kind of frustrating to me and I hope Marvel doesn't keep it up for very long. But that being said, I think because of that, this issue 70, which kicks off a sinister warts prelude to sinister warts written by Nick Spencer. The art is by Federico Vincentini. Uh, and colors are by Alex Sinclair, letters by Joe Caramagna. I, I, because Spencer's leaving, and I have a feeling he wasn't necessarily ready to leave, this all of a sudden feels very, very forced. You know, I've talked about Spencer's run on Amazing Spider-Man quite a bit over the last six months about how it's very much a slow burn, and he keeps all these different plot threads going, and nothing, no plot, no thread, no story ever seems to end. And all of a sudden, the pace in this book, the pacing is just, it's warp speed. And it feels choppy. And it, you know, and I, I, I don't mean to sound like complain or sound hypocritical, like Spencer goes too slow and now he's going fast and I don't like it. It's not that he goes too slow necessarily. I do wish that he wrapped up his plot threads sooner. I think he drags them out. A little bit too long, but the pacing of each individual issue and how fast things happen doesn't necessarily happen at a slow pace. I just think he has too many plot threads going, and and for that reason, he he doesn't have the space to get to resolve all of them in a timely fashion. Now, all of a sudden, the kindred plot thread, which he's been working on since issue one of the series, and yes, this is issue seventy I'm talking about. I mean, that 70 issues, man, that is too long for one plot thread to be running. But yet here we are with the kindred. The plot is still unresolved. So 
I have to think that, you know, editorial went to him and said, Hey, you know, we're going a different direction. We're going three times a month. We're bringing on this whole team of writers. And now this is his most important plot thread, this kindred story that's been running for 70 issues. And so now he's probably like, well, I got to wrap this up, but I got Sinister War too. So now he's trying to cram all this stuff in um, and it's not what he's used to uh, moving at this breakneck pace. Uh, and the, I think the, the narrative, the, the pacing suffers for it. Uh, plus, I, I don't think the art is particularly strong in this issue. I've seen better from Federico um, Vicente before, to be honest. Um, and I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of his style anyway, uh, but this feels rushed. So I, I can't chalk it up to anything but the fact that this book is coming out at such a fast pace. I mean, the last couple issues of Amazing Spider-Man, there was like four artists on it. And in this one, it's just Federico Vincentini, and there's not even an inker. So maybe that would have helped. But again, maybe he, there just wasn't time. So it, it is the prelude to the Sinister War. So something that Spencer's been building up to, let's get the Sinister Six back together and have them attack Spider-Man. Let's throw another log on the fire, you know, another plot thread. Um, but again, he doesn't have much time to wrap this all up. His last issue is 74. So I imagine we're going to see the resolution of the Kindred storyline. We're going to get this Sinister War story, which is also going to be in a, a miniseries. So it's going to, I guess that's how they're going to squeeze it all in uh, by putting the Sinister War in its own miniseries because, you know, Marvel wants to milk us for every dollar. Um, and I guess that's the way that they're going to try to wrap everything up, whether it's wrapped up satisfactorily, then I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But the other part of this is what about all the other threads? I guess they're just going to be left hanging, right? Like things with Gog and the things with the Rose who was recently resurrected, you know, Kingpin, um, the Magia, all, like all that stuff. I, I guess we're just going to forget about it. I, I don't, I just don't see the other writers picking up those threads of what uh, Spencer was doing. I hope they do because my God, I mean, we like I said, we've had 70 issues of the series with Spencer at the helm and it would be nice to have most, if not all of these plot threads resolved in some way or the other, but uh, I guess we'll see. So a little frustrating. Um, you know, you think of something classic like the Sinister Six, you're, you're hoping for good quality and some nostalgia, but it's uh, it's kind of mediocre in this issue. So um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating to be honest with you. So uh, there is another amazing Spider-Man book out this week. Also, it's uh, the amazing Spider-Man annual number two. It's part of that infinite destinies storyline. That's been playing out through all the Marvel annuals. This one's written by Carla Pacheco. Art is by Eleonora Carlini. Color is by Eric Arsenega and letters are by Joe Caramagna. Uh, and this, this guest stars star, no pun intended. Uh, we know that she has possession of the reality gem. This isn't her first appearance. She was so popular having appeared in the Captain Marvel series that she even got her own miniseries. Um, the characterization for her here is a little more zany and wacky than we got in Captain Marvel and in uh, her own mini. Uh, she's a little more unhinged here, but I, I don't mind that, that, that Carla Pacheco takes her in that direction. I mean, Carla does a good job in Spider-Woman of injecting some humor into that title. Um, she gets to get, go a little bit more zany here and the, um, the artwork by Eleanor Carlini, the style of artwork, um, suits it 
very, very well. That being said, um, Star's kind of an annoying character. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan, and we don't get any kind of overt information about the Infinity Stone that she carries, other than what we kind of knew already. But at least we do get somebody that's carrying one of the Infinity Stones because the last uh, Infinite Destinies annual we got Black Cat, there wasn't anybody carrying a stone at all. So this is an eight part story overall, and there aren't eight infinity stones are only six so i guess you you do need two annuals that don't actually have a stone um so uh i guess black cat was one of those and the other one i i don't know uh, maybe it'll be guardians of the galaxy I, I i don't know um but i am curious to see how this all plays out they are continually talking up the idea of getting all the stones together. I mean, that's what you wanted to do with the gems, right? You wanted to get all the infinite infinity gems together and that's what made them more powerful and snap of the fingers with Thanos and even non-comic fans know the story of the gem or stones now uh, because of the, the Marvel cinematic universe. So what's going to happen when you get the stones together, but they're, they're part of these living beings, these, these people on earth that they've bonded with. Um, do, does it still create, you know, a sum that's greater than the parts or not. So we do have the backup that's absolutely fantastic. It's written by Jed McKay and the art is by, uh, by Juan Ferreira, which is what really makes it amazing. I'm a huge fan of Juan Ferreira. His art's incredible. So we get the, uh, the hint behind who's kind of pulling the strings and trying to gather the stones together here. Uh, we see him in silhouette uh, and he's talking about, Hey, uh, you know, the world's a crappy place. And he's telling Nick Fury, you know, you're a very capable guy. You have the ability to remake the world. Like you could get these infinity stones together. We can make the world a better place. And you know who it looks like to me, not to tie into another event that really didn't end up being all that for me. I think maybe it's Nighthawk. That's who it looks like in the silhouette to me. And for some reason, I've gotten some Nighthawk vibes before that he might be the guy pulling the strings. So maybe shades of like uh, Batman who laughs last, you know, we're getting uh, the the Marvel Batman analog, which is Nighthawk and, and we're kind of twisting him around to where he's not necessarily a good guy anymore. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, but this actual issue with the story with Spider-Man and Star, it, it, it made sense, you know, Spider-Man was able to relate to Star in such a way, but you know, she's kind of an unhinged character. And at, at the end of the day, I don't know how much he really got through to her, but it was a fun story. Uh, it's great. I did like Carlo Pacheco's characterization of Spider-Man. I would I'd love to see her do some more Spider-Man work at some point. Um, not that I want her only to write spider characters in the Marvel universe. I think she's very talented and she could write any number of characters, but I did like her characterization of Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, of star. So, but overall, it was solid. Uh, not the best of the Infinite Destinies annuals, but uh, but overall, pretty good. Uh, all right, on to the next book that we're going to talk about. Uh, I think this one is uh, one of Jay's books. Yep. Uh, first Aftershock book we're going to talk about tonight. It's Clans of Balari, and it's written by brothers Peter Blackie and Rob Blackie. Uh, who are both first, this is their first comic work. They've worked a lot in uh, film and TV previously. The art is by Daniel Main. The colors are by Carlos Lopez and the letters are by Taylor Esposito. Uh, so what'd you think? 
Jay? Sorry about that. I was on mute. Uh, it's a good book. I, I was looking forward to it because, like I said, it's uh, kind of a different take from, uh, like I said, they're not real comic book people. So it's kind of cool to see what, how it would be different. I like it because it kind of bases like there's a, uh, I guess it's in the future, I guess, or an alternate world, but there's different clans in this uh, system that you agree to uh, do certain things you can't cross with other people. You know, they have their own rules that they set up. And the main character is uh, Gummy, and uh, it sh shows like what happens when you don't follow the plans. You know, if you don't follow the rules that are there set, how it can like kind of uh, go against you. You know, on the in the long run, uh, it's him and uh, the other girl that he, uh, I guess, adopts, uh, Tia, and it's pretty much their adventure of uh, as you know when she's young and as she gets older, of uh, how the world is set and why it's set, and um, you know she doesn't like it, but we see why things are like that. You know. What, what, because of uh the past it then then he's interesting because it kind of makes you go okay so there's a little bit more i mean um it's just the first issue but uh i'm gonna get the second one and see what happens yeah i thought the art was really good too uh, especially that first page it really grabs you with the cosmic scene there's a, a couple pages there and we saw, saw this in the preview like they sent out it's been all over the comic sites so it's not spoilery to talk about these these rules necessarily that exists in the Bellari system um, that, that does have these clans. And the number one is that no person or clan gets to lead the system. Like you're, tr you're, you're trapped there. Um, you, you're part of that. It, it's a literally a system like an ecosystem and you're, and everybody who's born into it has to stay there and contribute. Um, and you don't even have the freedom to move beca uh, between clans because the second rule is no person or clan may do the designated work of another clan. Like every clan has their own role. Number three is clans may not merge. Number four is any person that breaks the primary law shall be made an outcast. And the th problem is that just in living your life, you probably will break a, a law inadvertently, right? You might accidentally or they can interpret something you're doing as doing the work of another clan. And in the back of the book, they, they break down what the clans are. There's the frigate clan, which is basically the clan that handles transportation. There's the vein clan, which is the mining clan. There's the metal clan, which is kind of the manufacturing clan. There's the agron, which is agriculture, as it kind of sounds. There's the dark arm, which that's an interesting name for a clan because they're actually the, the fisher uh, the fishermen clan, they, they fish the seas, but they also have the most advanced technology. Uh, and then there's the Balari cap, and they're called that because they literally work on the ice cap on the planet Balari because there's a lot of minerals and, and precious metals and whatnot there that they extract, that they use to make the, the, uh, the fuel for the spacecraft that exists. And then there's, it's not a clan, it's called the Suic, and that's basically the police force, and they kind of orbit the planet of Bellari and they have pr some pretty advanced technology and weapons that can show up at any point and hold an inspection and, and, you know, call out people and say, Hey, you're, you're breaking one of the laws. So it's, it's very much like a fascist sort of regime. And right away in the first issue there, there's talk of, Hey, this isn't fair. Like there was strife in the past and, and war and, in order to survive, they came up with the idea of these clans and the, kind of the separation of work and, and different peoples. 
um, cause they had to at the time, but maybe they can let some of that go now and they can have a little more freedom, but the, the people that are in power, they can stay in power by in, continuing to enforce these rules. So that is certainly not a new concept, but it's certainly a very relevant one uh, right now. So I, I thought it was really good too, from these two first time uh, comic writers um, and being that it's aftershock, probably have them on the show at some point. I'd say that's uh, that's safe to say. So, uh, all right. I'm going to talk real quickly about children of the Adam. This is number five of six. It's from writer Vita Ayala. The art is by Paco Medina, colors by David Curiel, letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, it's called Secrets of Revealed, and there's a, a big bombshell that drops in this issue where you're just like, wait, what? I mean, basically something you thought the entire series is actually different than what you thought it was. So we saw at the end of last issue that the Children of the Atom were captured uh, and uh, all but one of them. And that one goes and asks for the help of the X-Men to come and rescue his teammates. So the X-Men do show up in this issue and it's pretty action packed. And just like a lot of the uh, issues that we've had so far, it, it does specifically focus or is narrated by one particular member of the children of the Adam. So it gives us more characterization and insight into that one character but also, as I said, their secrets revealed. So there are some pretty big, pretty big revelations in this one that I did not see coming. So at times I haven't been sure where Vita Ayala has been taking the story, but they've certainly done a, a great job of making it compelling and giving us accurate voices for these characters who are very much teenage characters. They're very inexperienced. Uh, they don't make the best decisions based on that lack of experience but this is definitely a comic that's worth reading. And I kind of wish it was going to last longer than six issues, but I think that Vita Ayala is going to accomplish what they set out to accomplish in the series. You can kind of see the way that it's paced out and plotted out uh, extremely well, extremely tightly. A lot has happened, but there's been plenty of quiet moments and character moments. And so how these, how these kids ultimately relate how this this team of five relates to the x-men in the long run and whether they even keep putting on the costumes and uh, trying to protect other mutants uh, remains to be seen but it's certainly compelling it's certainly heartfelt and uh, i'm invested in these characters you you care about them i've talked a lot lately especially on the dc side of things about how there's been some new books with new characters that i haven't they just haven't been clicking with me and it's because I haven't connected with the characters. And if you don't care about the characters and the stories you're reading, you kind of don't care about the stories you're reading uh, because good stories should be character driven and not plot driven. Uh, if they're plot driven, it's real easy to lose interest or fall off, especially if it's kind of a slower paced issue. Um, Vita, Vita Ayala has done an excellent job of making these characters feel real. And um, she's gotten, or he, uh, they rather have gotten the voices correct uh, in terms of making them sound, uh, making these characters, this this team, Children of Adam, sound like teenagers and sound authentic with their voices and the things they worry about and their worries and their you know hopes and all that kind of thing. So, uh, hats off to Vita. They've done an excellent job of of giving us accurate voices for these characters. Uh, the art by Paco Medina. 
I mean, it's Paco Medina, man. I mean, it's it's kinetic, it's fast paced, tons of detail, great backgrounds. Uh, line work is just fantastic. Uh, the color work is also very very strong. Uh, it it feels like an X Men book uh, in terms of you know the, the style and the layout um, with Tom Muller's design work. And I, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't go so far as to say the X books at Marvel have a house style right now, but pretty darn close, <laughs> pretty darn close. And Paco Medina's art certainly um, fits in very well with uh, the, the style of the, the X-Men books over at Marvel. So uh, do recommend that. It's a pretty, pretty strong book. Um, up next is another book that I've been enjoying quite a bit. It's Deep Beyond. We're up to issue seven, uh, I'm sorry, issue six now. Uh, and this is written by Mirko Andolfo and David Goy. And Mirka, I've talked about it before. She's mainly known as an artist, Italian artist, um, who's done a lot of American comic work. But she's a, a writer as well. And she doesn't even handle the art here. The art in, the, in this book is by Andrea Brocardo. And the colors are by Barbara Nascenzo with letters by Marizio Clausi. So this is a futuristic book about a world where there's been a disaster. There's sort of a plague now. People, uh, the people that are surviving have to live in kind of these biodomes because the, the oceans are full of dangerous mutated animal life and the land is the same. Uh, there's a lot of fungus and, and rot and whatnot. And um, this woman who kind of rebels against this here's the word again, fascist government, right? This, this government that's very heavy handed and feels the need to um, enforce these very strict rules for the survival of the human species to the point where they're going above and beyond what is necessary to do the same thing that is at the root of just about all fascism, right? It's to keep the people in power, to, to consolidate and keep them in power. That's the reason behind the fascism. It isn't that it's necessary for survival, that they could allow more freedom to people. They could possibly start cleaning up the mess that's been made, but they're living in this dome. They're living in this protected society, and they they are the ones that are at the top of the food chain, and everybody else is kind of struggling um, to do what they need to survive. But in doing that, they're providing the people at the top with a very good life. So why should they want things to change? So again, as far as that part of the story goes, it's pretty classically tropey. Um, but it, this story goes way beyond that in terms of the science fiction with um, the calamity that's happened and the, the, the fungi and the mutated creatures and whatnot. So the scientist is out there uh, and she's kind of doing some research on her own to try to fix what's wrong with the world. And she disappears and her sister recruits another scientist um, who was the boyfriend of the, the, the scientist that went missing. Uh, and so they go out there and they try to find her. And what they find is this, um, this research station underwater that actually has a portal to another, another place, like another dimension where these aliens live. And time goes by much faster there. A couple seconds there are months here. And they find out that they, they thought the scientist that had disappeared, this, uh, this woman's sister, um, her name is Joelle, the woman that's went looking for her sister, the sister that first went missing is named Pam. Uh, so when Pam gets to the other side and with the boyfriend, David and they, or Paul rather. Uh, so Paul and Joel, along with a couple of their, uh, of their companions get to the other side and they realize that Joel was there, but Joel got there months ago in our timeline, which is actually centuries in the timeline of 
these aliens. And so the aliens are very advanced and they have technology that perhaps can save our world, but there may be something else going on with the government of our world and with the government of the alien world that is supposed to maintain the status quo. I don't know. There's some kind of conspiracy going on that we're not, uh, that we're not privy to yet. So that's sort of what the story has been about up to this point. And in this issue, um, Paul and Joel start to make some realizations and they start to meet with some people, uh, some aliens in the other world that are sort of analogous to what they are. I mean, they consider themselves rebels in our world and they find out that there are some aliens that are of a like mind in that other world. Um, that maybe there are some aliens that don't agree with what the government of the, the alien wor uh, world or dimension or whatever you want to call it uh, is doing either. So maybe they have allies and where it might go from here. Uh, I don't know, but what I will say is from the spark of the story where it seemed like it was just going to be sort of a, a disaster slash horror story, right? We've gotten so much body horror in comics recently. I'm not a big fan of body horror, but for some reason it definitely seems to be in the zeitgeist right now. And we've get we've gotten tons of it, right? Like from Immortal Hulk to uh, I breathe the body at aftershock, just, just tons of it. Um, and so I thought this was just going to be another story along somewhere along those lines with these creatures and, um, all the fungi going around, I figured, ah, oh, these scientists are going to go out looking for Pam and they're going to get infected and start mutating and whatnot. Um, it, and it was going to be kind of a small, intimate, uh, like suspense story or disaster story. I was getting some um, Poseidon adventure vibes, you know, probably because of all the water and then being trapped under it and whatnot. Um, but this has grown in the last three issues, maybe four issues. This has grown in scope to be huge, to be this big sprawling sci-fi epic with all these really cool ideas and great art, beautiful color work, all these cool visuals, the, the ideas in this dimension of the way the aliens communicate and the way they eat and tasting. It's like so many times you read a story where somebody goes to a different world, whether it's a different planet or a different dimension or whatever, and things are so similar, right? Even if they don't look like us, they often they look pretty similar, two arms, two legs. Um, they eat, they talk, they smell like all the senses are, you know, it's kind of the same. There are some, some of similarities, you know, especially when we talk about the, the appearance, these aliens from this other dimension are humanoid in appearance, but that's sort of where the similarities end. Um, and some of the ideas and some of the things that are different are really interesting and some of the things seem like they're different for no other reason than they're different. And I'm totally okay with that. Why wouldn't it be, you know, why wouldn't it be different just to be different because they evolved in a completely different way. It's not something that needs to have a reason. Oh, well, this is different than the way humans do it because of X, Y, Z. No, it's just different because it's different. These are different people. It's a different species. It's a different race. You know, it's a different place. It's a different universe for all we know. So I'm okay with things being different just for the sake of being different and it's just great to have these really cool ideas and this is only one story that can be told between these two worlds there's so much more um, because of the difference in the way time goes by you could go back you could go forward um, and tell all kinds of cool stories uh, set in one world or the other or in both like this one is so uh, I, I don't hear enough people talking about deep beyond it is a fantastic series 
gets my highest possible recommendation. So definitely check it out. Um, I'm sure it's not sold out. I haven't heard of any of the issues selling out, so you can still pick up all uh, all five previous issues. And uh, it's definitely worth your time to read. So I do recommend it. Uh, up next, it's Geiger number four. This is from co-creators Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Johns obviously handles the writing. Frank handles the art. The colors are by Brad Anderson and the letters are by Rob Lee. Uh, so what'd you think of uh, Geiger number four, Jay? I know you're digging this book. Oh yeah. It's never a letdown. And uh, it was definitely not a letdown. It's uh, there's a lot going on in the book. Uh, Cause as we know from the last issue, uh, Geiger is now kind of responsible for two kids. And uh, I guess in an aspect, like he's missing something in his life. You know, he's missing that, uh, I guess that uh, family, you know, cause we know that, you know, what happened with the bunker. So I think it kind of fills a void for him. It gives him a little bit more uh, purpose, I believe anyway. And um, it's fun. Uh, we have like, I feel like it's like a Mad Max type of scene in there with the uh, whole car chase, which is pretty cool, you know? And we find a little bit more about the, uh, definitely about the King and we get more about his, uh, uh, like his parents and what they did. And uh, we find out uh, what the creature is. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Um, and then we get some other characters at the, uh, as, as it sort of progresses. So there's a lot of, there's a lot going on, but I'm looking forward to the next issue because it kind of leaves you wanting, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? And I, I like that from the story. Yeah. This has been a really fast paced story. And based on the last page, and then the preview for next issue, it's it definitely continuing to move at a very, very fast pace. Um, and one of the things about that is when we do get the character moments, it's pretty interesting. I, I almost feel like I wish the story was moving a little slower. Um, but I, I, I get the feeling that it's moving so fast because Johns and Gary Frank are so excited about the story they're telling that they want it to move fast and they want to get to the big reveals. I mean, last issue when we found out that Geiger's family had, had died in the bunker, despite him holding out hope, as long as he didn't open it, you know, he could hold out the hope that his family was still alive. And then when we find out the King went out there with his men and opened the bunker, you know, against Geiger's wishes, um, and that's what set Geiger off to, to harm the, I said, King, I get Prince or what have you, the, the ruler, yeah. the spoiled brat kid. Um, we find out why Geiger went off on him uh, because he opened, he, he did open the bunker. And we find out that Geiger's family had died long ago, you know, within probably the first few weeks of the bombs dropping. That was a very sad moment. Like it was brutal um, to just rip that bandaid off. Um, so yeah, you're right. Geiger definitely, he needs purpose. And these kids, I think, are giving him uh, giving him purpose. And uh, we get a little bit about how his powers work and why he was able to survive, why he's able to survive outside without a suit and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic story. I think your comparison of it to Mad Max is a very uh, accurate one. I think anybody who digs Mad Max and that kind of world post-apocalyptic story is going to going to really love this. So uh, it is. It is pretty pretty good, and it's uh, selling out constantly. <laughs> They're constantly doing reprints, um, so many different covers and whatnot. So, uh, all right, up next I have the Good Asian issue number three. This is from writer Pornsack Pichichot. Uh Alexander Tefengi handles the art. Lee Luffridge on colors. Jeff Powell letters and design. Uh, and we had uh, Pornsack on to talk about this book uh, before it came out. It 
has not disappointed. It continues to feel very pulp noir. Uh, it's the story of Edison Hark, who's a Hawaiian-born Chinese-American detective. Uh, and there just aren't any Chinese-American detectives set in, in this time, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, and the story is set in uh, Chinatown in San Francisco amongst the time of the Chinese Exclusion Act, where Chinese weren't allowed to come into the United States. So there's a lot of historical accuracy with the way Chinese are treated, the way all Asians are treated in the story. And what's interesting is Porn Sack had been working on this for so long. And again, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to our interview we had with them. They've been working on this story so long, and it only became more and more relevant with all the the Kung flu and, and you know, racist animosity that the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of stirred up in some people. Um, and all of a sudden the, the story that porn sack was already developing, uh, became a little more, um, a little more relevant. So like I said, it's, it's definitely a, a mystery and it's pulpy and it's Edison Hark. And he's looking for this missing girl who worked for uh, porn sack's, uh, surrogate father, who's a, a millionaire and he's fallen into this coma since this woman has left. And, um, you know, this Edison Hark being the, uh, one of the only Chinese American, if not the only Chinese American policeman in, you know, all of the United States. And it wouldn't happen if it wasn't, you know, in Hawaii where um, Asians are a little more accepted at this time, just because of the, the native um, uh, people of, of Hawaii, basically. Um, but here's this guy, Edison Hark, who he's not really accepted by the Chinese because the Chinese look at him and they see kind of a, a traitor, right? Like, why are you working for the white people? You're one of us. And so they don't trust him because they, they think he's betrayed them basically. But that's not to say the white people accept Edison Hark either because they look at him and say, no, you're, you're an Asian or Oriental as they called them back then. Uh, so they don't accept him either. So he's got a foot in each world. And because of that, neither world accepts him. So you very much get the sense as you're reading this issue in particular of how much, I don't want to say self-hate because it doesn't, it's not to that level, but you get the sense that Edison Hark doesn't think very much of himself. And, and that sense kind of has permeated the series so far, but it really starts to come to the forefront in, uh, in this story. Um, but against all this sort of, uh, background of um, institutional racism being established and this idea of uh, Edison Hark being of two worlds and not belonging to either uh, um, amongst all this great character work that really kind of sets the emotional stage and emotional stakes for the story. Uh, we are still getting a narrative that is very much uh, a pulp noir mystery uh, with some great, uh, you know, period uh, language and uh, an art that is very much uh, of the time period. Alexander Topengny's art is perfectly suited. Uh, it's a pretty clean style, um, kind of thick lines. The color work is very, it's very muted, which also suits a pulp noir story. So, I mean, I, I do hear people talking about this book, about how good it is, but I feel like not enough people. Uh, I would be shocked if this, uh, if the series is not nominated for some Eisners, it's that good. It really, really is. So highly recommend it. And uh, once again, I'll remind everybody, go back and listen to that uh, interview that we did with, uh, with Pornsack. It's definitely worth your time to listen to.
Uh, all right, next book I'm going to talk about. Man, we're coming up on the end. It's uh, Immortal Hulk issue number 48. It's called Hiding Places from writer Al Ewing, Joe Bennett on pencils, Ryu Jose and Bellardino Bravo on inks, Paul Mounts on colors, and Corey Petit on letters. There's only two more issues after this, number 49 and 50. So I have felt at various times that this series was kind of bogging down and moving kind of slow. And we did hear some rumors that it was going to end with 25. Now it's going to end with 50. Uh, we know that Donnie Cates is going to be, and I think Ryan Stegman, I'm not 100% sure on that, but for sure Donnie Cates is be going to be taking over the Hulk. And he's already teased some cosmic-like stories with the Hulk, which I'm ready for some normal Hulk stories. It's been so long. It's been since like, I feel like since 2015 that we've gotten some normal Hulk stories, if not longer, you know, um, they killed him. And then he, you know, showed back up in Avengers, no surrender. And then we've gotten this series, which has been great, but you know, it's in that body horror and more in the horror genre. And it's not like, I, I miss superhero Hulk. I miss professor Hulk. I miss just, maybe Hulk on the run, just something a little more traditional. And maybe, uh, you know, I just sound like an old man saying, ah, get off my lawn. I, you know, back when I was a kid, give me back my Hulk. Um, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't feel like, like Hulk to me. It's been an interesting story. I'm, I'm very invested. Uh, I want to know how it's all going to wind up. Um, I can kind of see in this issue for the first time, uh, there's a conversation between the current Hulk, which is the Joe Fixit Hulk and uh and betty and you can i kind of get some ideas of where al ewing might be going in terms of the emotional stakes and how are we going to reconcile all these different uh versions of the hulk all these different personalities that we've seen manifest themselves independently more so than we ever have before in the hulk story so uh i have an idea but but who knows really uh what i do hope is that that Al Ewing has enough space to finish off telling the story that he started out to tell and nothing's left hanging. I, I really don't want a 50 that says at the end of the last page, the end question mark. I, I really don't want that. Like give us a good solid period on the end of the sentence, give us an ending. Don't leave it hanging. And then Donnie Cates can come in and do whatever he wants. And if it's a cosmic Hulk, it's a cosmic Hulk. Uh, I'm going to read it because it's Hulk and he's one of my favorite characters. So, um, but yeah, the, the fact of the matter is it's uh, the last couple issues. The, the pace has definitely picked up. Uh, this is back to being a must read book, uh, especially because we're coming down to the end and I'm going to be really curious. Uh, it'd probably be a little while, uh, maybe a few months or so, but I would imagine before the end of the year, I'm going to sit down and reread this entire series uh, in, in one or two sittings. Um, cause we only have, like I said, two more issues. So we'll have 49 in August and then come September, uh, we should be getting the end of, uh, Immortal Hulk. So it's been a fun ride. Uh, and there's plenty in this issue to remind us of how far we've come. And the artwork by Joe Bennett has been just fantastic throughout. He's done almost every single issue. So kudos to him for such a detailed, book um he's drawn some crazy stuff with all the body horror and whatnot 
So it's been uh, it's been great. And uh, one last thing I'll say is Joe Bennett draws one heck of a good looking Betty. That's not always the case with uh, with artists, but uh, Immortal Hulk has definitely it's been a very critically acclaimed book. And uh, for the most part, it has deserved that claim. Although, like I said, a few of the issues here or there have dragged a little bit, but very curious to see how it's all going to wrap up and, and hope it wraps up completely and we don't get any plot threads that are left hanging. Uh, okay, next book we're going to talk about, another indie from Image. It's Noctera. This is issue number five. It's from writer Scott Snyder. The art is by co-creator Tony S. Daniel. Tameyu More handles the colors and world design does the letters. And whoa, did, did we get a big chunk of story in this one? It's like 30 pages of story. And uh, well, I guess it's 22 pages of story because there's an Ordinary Gods preview in the back. Um, but it feels like a big chunk of story because we get a lot of info and a lot of stuff happens. Um, so what'd you think, Jay? Were you, was, did you read this first? I mean, I know you're oh. <laughs> on top of the stack or. Uh, it was definitely my, my first read. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I think the hog's going to end with him eating the affinity stone. That's how it's going to end. And then he's going to go into space. <laughs> 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 no, but, uh, for like, it's always, it's never a letdown. And, uh, I, like I said, the artwork is amazing. And the story uh, is amazing. Um, it always starts off with a flashback, which I always uh, appreciate because you kind of get more, uh, I think you become, when they do that, I think you get more um, invested in the characters because you know how they how they mature and how they get to what they're at at, the, at this point of the story. So I, I appreciate that. And you're right, there's so much going on uh, with her brother. Um, and I think we mentioned before where you're at a place, you think it's safe and you should trust it, but you know in the back of your mind, you know, it, this might not be the safest place, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust it. And uh, you get that vibe in the story. Um, the ending is just, I kind of saw it coming at the end, but uh, <laughs> it's just a good story. There's so much going on. I just, you really can't really go into to detail with it without giving away the, you know, the, uh, the spoiler of, of the whole story. But there's definitely a lot going on. Um, you find out more about the, um, I guess, smudges, I guess that's what they're calling them. The, the human shades, you get a little more uh, backstory of what's going on with them. And it's just, it's a great story. So like I say, if you're not reading it, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's, if you love comics, you got to get this book. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to talk about any of the plot points in this book without giving stuff away. And it's one of those books. Every time it comes out, we talk about, Oh, this book's fantastic. It's so good. And we can never talk about what actually happens in the book because this book is one of those titles kind of similar to, what uh, scouts honor was that it's they pack so much story in every issue it's so tightly plotted and paced they they put so much into each issue that everything is relevant everything matters and there's not any way to really talk about the story we we can refer to previous issues because we did see in issue four that val and m had reached uh the sanctuary, basically the, the, the place that they were trying to get to. Um, and they get, uh, they get there and they find out that it, it is supposedly what they were, were told it is. Um, but then things escalate quickly be because I was a little bit surprised, um, that what, what was told to them, right. What was told 
to them by uh, the old man, Augustus, was actually true. Uh, so many times we'll get a story like this where it's post-apocalyptic and you know, we're following this group of people that's on a trek to get to this sanctuary and then they get there and the sanctuary doesn't exist or it's not what they were told or, you know, and so I was sort of expecting that. And the fact that at the end of issue four, we already got to the sanctuary. And then in this one, we find out what the sanctuary is and it's not necessarily what you expect it to be. I was like, okay, well, wait, where does the story go from here? Cause in a way that seems like that would be the end. Oh no, Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel really throw us for a loop. Um, and they do it in a couple of different ways. One way would have been enough, right? And it is a little tropey in one way because maybe we do find out that the, the sanctuary is not what it at first appears, which is a little tropey, like I said. Um, you know, I think back to things like Soylent Green. Soylent Green is people, you know, and you find out, oh, well, the food that you're eating at the sanctuary is actually other people or something like that. Like all those kind of ideas are, have been done uh, in so many ways. Um, but it's not enough to just give us one, that one idea that m might be a little tropey. Uh, they give us another, another reason that the sanctuary might not end up being the, the final goal for Val and her brother. Uh, and to me, that reason is even more compelling and, and sort of matters more in the long run and is more of a, a motivation for what might come next. So I, re I really am constantly impressed by this, by this story. Um, and uh, the one, if I had to make a nitpick and this is the, the smallest little nitpick, the little girl, Bailey, um, who is the, I guess, the niece or grandniece of, uh, of Tiberius, who was Augustus's brother, who kind of runs the sanctuary. Um, we haven't gotten much of, of her. Uh, you know, Jay mentioned the fact that we get flashbacks for Val and M uh, every issue, and it's giving us context and characterization for what they do. I wish we had a little more background on Bailey, but maybe that's coming in the second arc. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it, like I said, it's, it's a tiny, uh, tiny nitpick. Um, but this book's fantastic. There's a reason that sells out every issue. Uh, everybody should be reading this book. It's absolutely fantastic. I think it's the best artwork of Tony Daniels' career. Uh, in this particular issue, there's not a, a ton of action. Like, you know, last issue with Black, uh, Blacktop Bill and whatnot, we got some all-out car chase action with incredible color uh, by Tameo More, whose work in this series is definitely the best of his career because we're talking about a world of internal darkness and yet they've weaponized light. So Moray's got to be able to use darkness and shadow and create menace and uh, create uh, kind of a sense of foreboding in the darkness. And he does an incredible job with that. And then you'll turn a page and he's doing all these cool things with light and all these tricks where uh, the color on his page looks literally looks like it's glowing. And we, we know this is a, a flat dimensional image on a, on a piece of paper or on a, a, a screen, right? If you're reading it on a, a tablet or a computer or whatnot. Um, and he is bringing that light to life. It looks like it's glowing. It, it, it's amazing. So um, the work that he's doing over Tony Daniels pencils is, is absolutely fantastic. And the work that Tony Daniels doing, especially the emotion and the faces um, in addition to the design work that he's done, 
in designing these characters and designing these worlds and the monsters and everything. It's just fantastic. Um, but, but where Tony Daniels artwork is most impressive to me is the emotionality he's bringing to the faces. I don't think he's ever shown this much emotion uh, from his characters before, at least not that I've seen. I've, I've never noticed it. And I've read a lot of books that Tony Daniel has illustrated. So not to say that he hasn't been absolutely fantastic in the past, but he's outdoing himself here. And I can't help but think that it has so much to do with the fact that this is his book, right? This is a creator owned book that him and Scott Snyder own together. Um, and I'm sure that's pushing him to, to his absolute best every issue. So I uh, can't say enough good things about Noctera. It's, it's fantastic. So good. Uh, all right. Another, another book that's uh, pretty crazy and out there. Um, we've been reading it and covering it from the beginning. It's post-Americana number six. It's from uh, writer, artist, Steve Scroche. I think that's how you say it, or maybe it's Scroche. I never know. That's one of those I'm not sure about. Uh, Colors are by Dave Stewart. Letters uh, and designer by Phonographics. And I don't know how many issues this is going to go, but this felt like like the second to last issue or maybe third to last issue. It definitely feels like we're winding down. Um, but this was a pretty <laughs> this was a pretty solid book this week, Jay. What did you think? Uh, I gotta say the uh, the covers are always amazing. Like there's so much detail in this one. If you actually look at it, like wow. I mean, they took their time. Um, the story's good. It's always been good. Um, this one you kind of get like a little like flashback of how things used to be before they kind of got the uh, the guy got organized. I guess where the uh, the president and his people are at. And you're right. There's so much action going on. I mean, you got. Uh, one place going with the, with a battle. Then you got the, the other place going with the battle. Um, we get some, um, I guess you find out like some of the creatures that are going to be on your side or are against you are actually going to work with you. I mean, there's, it's, it's awesome. It's just so much action going on. And then um, I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, Danny is kind of like, okay, you kind of saw something coming like that. You know, one of the characters going to, it's going to happen to one of them, but I guess you kind of, I guess if you're a betting man, you know who it was going to be. Um, and then we just don't know if one's going to make it or not. So it's a lot going on. I just, I pro totally appreciate the artwork. It's just so detailed. And it is a little weird, a little uh, out there, but I enjoy the, I'm enjoying the, the ride so far. I'm just going to see what happens next because it kind of leaves it with so much going on in the next issue. Yeah, this is not a, first of all, we should say it's, it's definitely for mature readers. This has been bloody. And there's cannibalism and uh, nudity, and it's not for the faint of heart. We'll say that right off the bat. Um, there's also a pretty high body count. It gets pretty bloody at times. And it, it seems like Steve Scrooge is having a heck of a fun time telling this story. And uh, yeah, it's, it's brutal. Like right from the start, right from the first issue, you knew that nobody was safe. None of the characters were safe at any point. Anybody could be killed, like totally Walking Dead style out of the blue. And I guess that's why I feel like it must be getting close to the end because the body count here is super high. There's so much action. Um, like Jay said, there's, you know, a big war going on over here. There's a big fight going on over here. Like everybody's, it feels like the whole world is falling apart. Um, and everybody's out to get everybody and who's going to, 
survive the bloodbath in the end, right? It's going to be, it almost feels like, okay, who's ever the last man standing is going to be the kind of the one that, that ends up victorious, right? Um, and who that will be, we have no idea at this point. So um, it, it's basically, I, I've got to think, inspired by, you know, the whole idea of red versus blue sort of thing. Um, and we talked about it before, but just to kind of remind everybody, uh, again, post-apocalyptic story, the people that are left living on the surface, there's a lot of cannibalism. There's a lot of scraping around trying to survive. Um, and then there's this mountain where the people live a very comfortable life. Uh, but again, it's the people at the top that are living on the backs of the people that are actually doing the work. Um, and the people that are actually doing the work kind of rebel in the first issue and they try to escape and there's rumors of a, a sanctuary on the surface where they're going to try to go meet up with those people and, and start to try to rebuild America, um, thus the name post-Americana. Um, but things don't actually turn out the way that they expect them to. Um, this is another one of those uh, stories where the sanctuary they were promised is not, not at all what they expect it to be. Um, and the people behind the sanctuary don't necessarily have the uh, motivation uh, or uh, aren't actually true to their word. They, they're actually after something else. Um, so it was all revealed last issue. Um, and this issue, yeah, the crap kind of hits the fan. And we just get a lot of explosions, a lot of fights, a lot of uh, militaristic weaponry being used against each other. And can't wait to see who comes out on top in the end. So it's a pretty good, pretty good book, not for the faint of heart at all. Oh, no. And it's so funny because uh, when you read it, it's like, well, how am I going to like this character, Eggbird and Flippy Bottoms? And you're like, okay, I like him now. <laughs> it just makes yeah. you like, oh, it yeah. makes you, yeah, it's off the wall characters. You're like, why, why is this character here? You're like, okay, I kind of like this character now. Yeah, it, it, everything was so, you know, to talk about to borrow that metaphor we used before everything was so mad max you know everybody was human everybody was you know i wouldn't say normal because cannibalism is not normal but everybody was human and you kind of under, understood and then a couple issues ago we found out that the sanctuary was actually an amusement park where there was these animatronics um and yeah one of them was like a humpty dumpty another one was like a pink elephant um and they had over the years sort of gained sentience um and they end up being important uh parts of the story certainly in this issue so a little bit out there and then at first it kind of was off-putting to me but in the end i think it worked and it allows steve scross to sort of add a little bit of absurdity and bring a little bit of humor into uh into what's otherwise a very brutal story uh all right up next it's my book of the week absolutely fantastic ordinary gods which just has the coolest looking logo um if you guys are watching on uh on youtube i'll share my screen you can see the o of ordinary and the g of gods create this infinite loop this infinity symbol so basically and we ha again we had kyle higgins on to talk about the book so i do encourage you to go back and listen to that interview because he kind of gives uh gives some detail into to what the story is about probably in a better way than i can there's there's basically these beings who for lack of a better word are gods and they rule over these different areas of this kingdom and each of the areas of the kingdom. It's so cool. They're all named after like a personality trait that 
And that personality trait is one that their quote unquote God uh, exhibits more than any other. So one is called love. One is called inspiration, strength, cunning, passion, intelligence. Um, but these gods who, who rule this and much like I've said several times in this podcast, they, they do so at the expense of the kind of the lower classes who sort of have to toil um, and work hard to provide for the, the higher ups. And like any sort of system like that, any system featuring subjects and rulers, um, there are uprisings. And uh, how do you have a successful rebellion against gods who are immortal? Even if you kill them, they are reborn. Um, and so eventually one of the gods sort of starts to see, see things in a different way and they come up with this idea of a way to imprison the gods if they're killed, but it their idea goes sideways, and the five gods who sort of turn against the the number one god called the one king, they actually become entrapped by their own invention. And this invention, this creation, was basically to send the gods. The next time the gods reincarnated, they would reincarnate on Earth. Um, and so that's what they've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Um, but the thing is, they don't realize they're gods when they're, when they're at least not all of them, when they are reincarnated. So Ordinary Gods is a story of a, a 22-year-old, just a normal everyday 22-year-old who is actually one of these gods being re reincarnated. And so uh, first issue is like 38 pages or something like that. It's a double-sized issue for no more money. Uh, it's still the, the $3.99. Um, and it's basically the story of this civil war between these uh, immortal gods who reincarnate on Earth over and over and over. And, and what does that mean? And can the, the, the five gods who uh, oppose the rest, can they... Um, can they finally win the war basically? And does winning the war mean the destruction of earth? Because what is indicated in this issue, uh, and Kyle talks about this in the interview as well, is that the way life on earth started was when these five gods were reincarnated here. They were born into the bodies of small animals here on earth. And that was kind of the spark that created life on earth. And then it evolved over time. And these gods, you know, at first they started out and, you know, as little microbes and eventually they were, uh, you know, little lizards and eventually they were monkeys and then eventually they were reincarnated as humans. So it's an interesting take. Um, and with this scope uh, of gods reincarnating over th the entire course of human history, um, you can just look at the cover of the book and know that perhaps these gods are are people that we might recognize, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Nikola Tesla, uh, Thomas Edison, you know, were these geniuses of our, uh, of our history of human history, were they perhaps as smart as they were or as capable as they were because they were one of these gods reincarnated. So it's a big, huge story, absolutely amazing in scope. Uh, and Kyle Higgins has been knocking it out of the park with uh, with Radiant Black, no pun intended, because uh, he has talked. He talked about it 
when we had him on for Radiant Black, he's talked about it when we had him on for Radiant Gods, this idea of as a creator of an independent book on a very crowded comic rack these days, you've got to swing for the fences. You've got to take big swings is the way he puts it um, and do things that are unexpected uh, because he feels like he owes that to the readers so, so that the book will be as good as it can possibly be. So uh, this, this book gets my highest possible recommendation. There's uh, absolutely no reason not to pick it up this week. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, so we're back. Uh, apologies, everybody. I know the sound is probably a little bit different. My internet went out. Um, I will go on record as saying I absolutely hate Cox. Uh, there's a, um, a pedestal, internet pedestal, like half a block from my house. So I should get really fast internet, but they're constantly working on it. And late at night, it goes out like at least once a week. And it's so frustrating because I've talked to them so many times. Like, just tell me when it's going to be fixed for good. You guys are out there working on it every other week. Like, it's been going on for 18 months now. Like, just tell me when it's going to be fixed. And nobody can ever give me a straight answer. It's super frustrating. So anyway, uh, apologies for the the hiccup and uh, for kind of finishing up with some lower sound quality here. But uh, all that being said, yeah, um, Ordinary Gods, it's my book of the week. If you can only buy one book this week, buy Ordinary Gods. Um, if you can buy two, buy Ordinary Gods and Noctera. And if you can buy three, uh, I guess add Geiger. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many great books this week. It's it's really hard to choose. Um, but uh, what about you, Jay? You have a book of the week this week? Well, my, uh, we had a little hiatus. I read Ordinary Gods. It's actually pretty good. I, I kind of regret not reading that one of the first books I read. <laughs> so that's definitely really good. But I like Iger. And uh, that's going to be my book of the week because, like I said, I just like the way the, uh, he can zoom in on the character's face and you actually feel what they feel. And I, and I like that about the story. Yeah, I mean, there's not really a wrong a wrong choice when it comes to, to book of the week this week. Uh, there's so many great ones. Uh, so let me give a rundown on some of the other titles you might want to be on the lookout for this week, uh, because as I said, there are a ton of great titles uh, from Aftershock Baby Teeth number 19, which is the next to last issue of that uh, series, has some pretty fast action and it's pretty brutal and it suits the uh, it suits the impactful nature of that book, uh, family drama kind of Rosemary's baby on, uh, on steroids, uh, from Donnie Kate. So that's been really great. Uh, I do recommend that. Uh, there's a couple of bad idea books. Well, there was supposed to be two bad idea books coming out today. Uh, lot number one and sleigh bells number one, but unfortunately lot number one, uh, got delayed in shipping. And so I think most stores aren't getting it till next week. So they've officially changed the street date to, uh, the, the 14th for lot number one, but sleigh bells number one, uh, which is a one shot, uh, basically Santa goes Rambo when somebody accidentally kills one of his reindeer. So that's out from bad idea today, uh, from boom studios, Cullen Bunn's basilisk number two is out. Uh, we have the fourth issue of the magic, the gathering, uh, series and the eighth issue of James Tynan's wind is also out today, uh, from dark horse masters of the universe revelation, number one of four, from uh, Kevin Smith, among others, is out today. Uh, DC Comics, and again, you can go listen to our DC Comics Spotlight for uh, a lot of details on all these books. 
Uh, we talked about Batman number 110. We talked about Batman Fortnite zero point number six of six, which finishes up that miniseries, but doesn't finish up the story. So I do expect there to be an announcement for another Batman Fortnite series coming at some point. Uh, Rocky and I were both really impressed with Batman Secret Files, The Signal, number one, uh, giving us a Duke Thomas story. He's been underserved lately, and I, I think that it's possible that we could be getting some solid baseline characterization for Duke Thomas. I feel like for as long as he's been around, I still don't have a, a real good handle on who he is. Uh, he hasn't had like a definitive story in my mind, so maybe we're going to get that uh, and, and the start of it may be in this Batman Secret Files, the signal number one. Uh, we have Crime Syndicate number five of six from writer Andy Schmidt, uh, which is a pretty fun ride. Crush and Lobo number two of eight. DC Horror Presents The Conjuring, The Lover number two of five. We have the fourth issue of Green Lantern from Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. Uh, Justice League number 64, which also has the Rom V... Justice League Dark Backup, Justice League Infinity, number one of seven from writers J.M. DeMatteis, um, and that's a continuation of the Justice League cartoon, which Rocky's a huge fan of and highly recommends that book. We have uh, Suicide Squad, number five, Swamp Thing, number five of ten, and Wonder Girl, number two. Uh, over at IDW, the final issue of the Snake Eyes Dead Game series from rob liefeld that's number five of five uh is out this week from image in addition to the the books that we talked about there is a ant number 12 second printing jay talked about that book uh previously we also have commanders in crisis number 10 of 12 uh and i planned on talking about that book in more detail uh and would have had the internet gone out but i definitely recommend that one of the best issues of that series so far from co-creators David Tinto and Steve Orlando. Um, can really tell that we're getting to the end of the story. And that that's one that I can't wait to have all 12 issues and reread it in one sitting. It's just, it's a love letter to comics. Like all, all the best kind of stories of multiverse and um, different versions of characters and evil versions and that kind of thing. So really, really good. Uh, Firepower by Kirkman and Somni, number 13, uh, is out today. Uh, Inkblot, number 10, from Emma Kubert and Rusty Glad, is out today. There's uh, a collection of Middle West, which was from Scotty Young. It's a hardcover. Do recommend that. That's a great book. From Skybound, it's their big event book, Skybound X, number one. And I think there's going to be six issues of that. Um, unfortunately, they don't. Skybound doesn't give previews, so we, we didn't get a chance to read that ahead of time. But that's out, uh, as well as Walking Dead Deluxe, number 18, from uh, from Skybound. Then over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, Avengers, number 46, is out today. America Chavez, Made in the USA, number four of five. Uh, Captain America, number 30. Extreme Carnage Alpha, number one, is out today. Uh, Hellions, number 13. We've got uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters, number 14. We definitely owe you some Star Wars Bounty Hunters content. It should be coming soon. Uh, Trials of Ultraman, number four of five. That's another Kyle Higgins book. Very much worth your time. Uh, we've got X-Force, number 21. And then finally at Marvel, a new X-Men, number one. Um, although Jonathan Hickman, I think, is still kind of show running 
the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe. He's not actually writing the X-Men title anymore. Uh, Jerry Dugan, who's a, a writer I'm a big fan of, is taking over the uh, the writing duties on uh, on X-Men. So uh, definitely pick up X-Men number one today if you're a fan of Marvel's Merry Mutants. And then uh, the last thing that I'll mention is, uh, well, two things actually. Over at uh, Titan Comics, Life is Strange Coming Home, number one, I've heard very good things about. Haven't had a chance to read it myself. And then over at Vault Comics, uh, Hollow Heart number five, uh, which has been a pretty interesting uh, story so far. Uh, so those are some of the books you might want to be on the lookout for in addition to the titles that we uh, talked about. Uh, anything that you want to add to that list, Jay? Uh, no, I can't really think of it top of my head i just know it's gonna be a heavy week for me so it's gonna be expensive <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, and, uh, tons, yeah i mean tons of dc books this week there was like 10 dc books we talked about on the dc spotlight we talked about uh, 11 books here and again ap- apologies for the technical difficulties i'm i'm disappointed i didn't get to talk more in depth about uh, commander in crisis so um hopefully next week we won't have these sort of uh, issues uh but we do appreciate you guys hanging in there and hanging with us um and another part of the frustration is the fact that this, you know, this is an episode I'm putting up on, on YouTube as well. Um, and it's going to just have our names for the last 10 minutes uh, and not our, our faces. So, but maybe you guys were tired of looking at us anyway. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, book of the week for me, ordinary gods. It's a must read. Definitely pick it up uh, and also pick up Geiger Jay's book of the week. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate your support and, uh, really appreciate you guys listening or watching whatever the case may be as always and we will talk to you next time thank you you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.